Hello! Thanks for downloading this podcast. Just a quick note to say that we've changed the name from Fight Back to the next round. We think the new title gives a more future-facing angle to our conversations with marketing and business leaders as they chat to us about the next round for their businesses. Enjoy this episode and make sure to subscribe. We're planning Series 3 now and it should be with you later this year. This is Fight Back, the innovation podcast. Hello! And welcome to Fight Back. I'm your host, Robin Charney. I've been working in marketing, digital, and consulting for over 20 years, and I've helped hundreds of brands on their journey to transformation. I now work at AAR, a London-based management consultancy. I love the energy and optimism of the way the business world is evolving with the entry of thousands of new brands and services. The model of how and what we buy as consumers is clearly being disrupted. What I don't love as much, though, is the idea that all our heritage brands are old news and done for. I don't believe that for one second. Our heritage brands are in a fight for their lives, and that's what makes great stories. Fightback is about those heritage brands and the people doing what I think is one of the hardest jobs in any organization, transformation from the inside. In this episode, I speak with Margaret Jobling. It was recorded before lockdown and before Marg moved from Centrica to be the new CMO of NatWest. She's led marketing teams up behemoths of the FMCG world like Unilever and Cadbury's. She's worked on Dove, Lynx, Radox, and Dairy Milk, all household brands. She joined British Gas in 2014 to undertake the challenge of transforming it, as she puts it, from an oil tanker to a speedboat. Welcome to Fight Back, Margaret Jobling. Thank you very much, and I'm honoured to be here, Robin. Thank you so much for coming to chat to me about your fight back at Centrica. I can't wait to get stuck in. So, from chocolate to utilities, that's quite a leap. What attracted you to the sector, Marg? Oh, multiple things. I think... I had years and years of consumer goods experience and I was fascinated by, I guess, a brand and a service environment because, you know, one of the challenges in FMCG was always how do you get the customer to buy your products with this big behemoth in the middle called the retailer, whereas actually in a service industry it's very different. You know where your customer lives, you know what product holdings they've got and the brand is everything. So I was sort of fascinated by actually how does marketing show up in that world plus regulated business. I'd never worked in a regulated service business, so I'm a massive believer in a challenge. And I thought, National Institution, British Gas, actually, is there an opportunity to transform it inside out? Sounds amazing. And I bet you're having an amazing time. What fight are you in at Centrica? What are some of the challenges of the utility sector? We're in a how to retain and acquire customer fight, if I'm really honest. Um, You know, what you see in the sector is increasing regulatory challenges. The sector is disrupted by small, innovative tech-led brands. I think the customer now is in control more than ever. So whether that be through technology, transparency, but they can vote with their feet. Mm. As market leader, we have a massive opportunity, I think, to you know transform ourselves to really lead the category. And to be honest, that's what our customers expect of us. Out of all of those challenges, is there one you're particularly um, worried about and one that you think is a massive opportunity? I mean, to be fair, I worry more about us. I think actually, you know, we should be leading the way. I think our challenge is we're, you know, 200 year old business and a real heritage business. So how do you transform 200 years of that to be a modern, relevant player in the market? You know, is there competitors I worry about? Yes, probably the Amazons of the world, actually, the mm-hmm. over the tops. Very different relationship with the customer, very tech enabled. 
and offer a real breadth of products and services. So I worry about competition, but I'm more, you know, my biggest challenge is actually ourselves. You know, how do we help ourselves to be the brand we should be? In transforming your customer experience. And that's, that's a huge challenge. Can you talk to me a bit about how you are reframing the customer inside Centrica? So if you think about, I mean, the history of our business was almost a series of products and a series of product P&Ls. And actually the big reframe was how do you pivot the organization to be customer first? Because you have system challenges around, you know, each bit of the business had its own customer data. The customer doesn't care if I enter your world from energy or services. They expect you to know me and my needs and, you know, what I'm sat with you. So we've been trying to flip the organisation to put the customer at the heart because the customer does not care about your organising principle. All they care about is effortless experiences as they interface with, you know, the brands and the services that they know and love. And I think it's really interesting that you're talking about that, I guess, about the customer experience because... You know, and I have this debate with a lot of people who are in senior marketing roles, the difference between marketing and comms. And as a, and as a CMO, I'd love to know what you think of as the role of marketing, not just comms. I think marketing is much more than comms. I think the world of I make the TV advert and stick it on Coronation Street centre break and you know that everyone will <laughs> mm. come flocking, that's gone. Mm. Actually, I think increasingly the role of the CMO is to understand how all of the touch points work as a system and really understand how the brand experience and the customer experience come together mm-hmm. and how you influence the business to deliver that for the customer. And the you know, and I, so I think if you're narrowly focused on comms, then I, I'd say you're not doing your role quite honestly as a CMO because that's one tiny piece of what you need to understand. My best friend now is the IT, you know, chief information officer, yeah. the guy who's running the systems and processes, because you can really then understand. What happens when your comms hit the airways and how does the customer come into the world? Because you can have the best advertising in the world, but if they hit your systems and you're not actually delivering a phenomenal experience, people will vote with their feet that go elsewhere. So you need to understand how it all works together. And do you think the head of IT or your CIO, CTO would say you're his best friend as well? Do you think it works both ways? I think I, mm-hmm. I think he would, actually. Oh. I think increasingly, because he sees the value of, mm-hmm. if you know, we just move into a world where we say data is everything. Mm-hmm. Data to drive better insight, better targeting, better messaging, better propositions development, and better customer experiences. Mm-hmm. He owns the systems, if you like. So actually, our two worlds can really help each other and you can create value for the customer. I was on a panel and actually the debate in the room was who owns customer experience, the CMO or the CTO, mm. which I thought was fascinating. The room was actually split 50-50. And afterwards, because for me, I was so much ridiculous. Of course, the CMO owns customer experience. How can anyone ever think the tech guy owns it? And I, I just wonder if it's about the stage of development of the business. Because in a lot of the you know disruptor businesses, product and proposition and customer and brand experience are so are integral. Yeah. Whereas actually in a lot of legacy businesses, you're sat on big mainframe or SAP systems. So the nature of the CTO mm-hmm. tends to be very big system driven versus actually it's about the experience and the proposition. So I wonder if there's a maturity phase where actually as systems develop in some of the legacy businesses, whether you see a shift. And I think also because for a lot of businesses, marketing is comms, I think the customer was left somewhere on the shelf in a lot of businesses and no one owned it or them. Uh, So I think there's there's a battle in a lot of businesses around 
regaining that control. And it really depends on what kind of business it is and, and who's kind of got the power seat. But um, And that was in fairness yeah. when I started mm. British Gas. The first thing I was asked was to create a new advertising campaign. Right. So great new marketing director. Why mm-hmm. don't you make new advertising? And I remember doing the analysis on how effective are the comms. And actually you saw comms were really effective, mm. not worn out. Mm-hmm. The advertising wasn't the issue. Mm. It was when you called us, we didn't answer the phone. Or when you say we're going to call you back, we don't call you back. Right. Or, Living up to the brand promise that you were so, delivering in the amazing advertising. And it's the, you know, I hate ecosystem because it sounds a bit overused. But right. actually, every touch point is an experience of your brand to the customer. And unless you understand how it joins up, I think, mm. you know, you'll never, ever be successful. I've got a hard-hitting question about Wilbur. Um, have you got an example you can talk us through that isn't television advertising about what what kind of outputs and how it's working? So just to kind of take TV out of the equation for a change, because that's always the, the the sexy thing to talk about. So um, so Wilbur is dead. Oh, Bless him. Retired. He's not, yes, he's oh, not dead. He's, he's sorry, not dead. Sorry, he's, he's gone on his travels. He's met <laughs> he's met Will Bina and they're having a little. He's getting away from somewhere. the paparazzi. He, he was hounded. The poor thing. You know, it's a tough life being a penguin. We've got lots of little. Cut penguins still kicking around when it wants one. Um, so one of the things we wanted to do in, and I'll use British Gas as an example, was we'd had um, the animated style for the mm. last hour of many years uh-huh. and looking after your world as the campaign. And actually what we wanted to do was reposition as part of the brand becoming more modern and relevant. So actually we used the process to look for a new platform. And okay. the platform we've just moved to is Here to Solve. Mm-hmm. So there's a new creative vehicle out there, but actually it's much bigger than a creative platform. It's about how do you use it as an Intolian rally and cry? How do you use it as a mindset shift for our people? So actually we become internally solvers and we're all about how can we, you know, solve for our customers and hold each other to account to make sure we're constantly looking at how we solve and shift the culture to be much more around solution all in service of creating better experience for our customers. So it's manifested itself as an external in advertising and comms, mm-hmm. but actually it's a much bigger opportunity for us to create an internal rally and cry around how we're going to modernise and be, you know, instead of being the problem, we become the solution and everything we do is in service of making it better for our customers. Jumping to culture change, you know, how do you do that? I know it's, it's very easy to, to rebrand and to have a manifesto, but... There's got to be a lot of unlearning of old ways. And I guess my question is, is that about changing the people or bringing in new people or both? I think you need a bit of all of the above, to be honest. I think how do you organise the troops? And some of it needs to be hardwired, some of it not necessarily, but you definitely need common KPIs across the estate. So I've seen combinations of bringing in capabilities that we're missing, um, you know, like CX capability. You know, actually, we are, we know we haven't got enough CX capability, mm-hmm. so how do we train for it? You know, service design, we know we haven't got enough service designers. They are a rare breed, hard to, you know, and the market's hugely competitive. Like hen's so teeth, aren't they? They, they are re- good ones. Are they're really much more interested in working in-house than they are an agency, though, in my experience at the moment, because the challenge is more interesting. Frankly, you pay better generally, so <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, it is. But I think yeah. but you've also, yeah. you know, said, isn't it the jaws of culture? You know, yeah. you, you can't, yeah. you know, what, what businesses do is organ rejection very effectively. Mm. So actually, how do you create the conditions for those people to thrive that you bring in, whether that's the right physical environment, whether it's the right cultural environment? You know, we're very good at mm-hmm. killing things quickly. And how do you test and learn? I mean, that's been, I would say, in the last three, four years, the thing that we need to get very good at is 
test and learn, fail fast, but, you know, incubate and see if you can you know, get some fire starters and try mm. some new stuff. And the people that you do bring in from the outside, do they go native very quickly or do they reject? What's your experience been? I've seen a bit of all sorts, to be fair. I think six months, you see a lot of people come in and hit a wall. Mm. I think they come from existing business or different businesses and think, you know, the night on shining armour has arrived and mm. I've got all the answers. And actually, what you realise is it's really hard. You know, if, especially you've been established and operating in a particular way, to implement change is really hard. Mm. So you need massive resilience, massive, I guess, interest and curiosity into why things as they are and also the ability to really influence. So I've seen people come in, hit a wall and go, you know, this is in the too difficult bucket. I've seen people come in and thrive, but they go through a learning curve around, actually, you need to operate in different ways to get stuff done. And so, you know, we're a big, complicated business. And unless you figure out as much the formal and the informal processes, you get stuck very quickly. Mm. And it must be really interesting, the contrast in the cultures between the different parts of the business. So I wanted to talk a little bit about innovation uh, and on and off the estate and Hive, because again, that's a bit of a, a almost a wife and mistress situation, isn't it? Which is you've got the kind of grown up British gas. We make the money. <laughs> We've been here a long time. This is our turf. And then you must have Hive, which is, hi, I'm I'm new and sexy and young. And, and here I am and I'm all sweet and perky and lovely. And, and how does that play out? So if you go back to the yeah. very origin, British Gas developed a product called Remote Heating Control. Oh, sexy. And they launched it. <laughs> very sexy. <laughs> they launched it and it didn't work. Mm. And actually, it was interesting because at that time, I think they were then trying to work out what they do with that. Mm. And they made a decision to then take it off, I call it the reservation, but take yeah. it off the main estate, place the team outside of the core, where the core sits, put the team in London, bring in very, very different skill set, whether that be data and data and analysts, developers, mm -hmm. um, people from other categories, whether that be telco or, you know, some of the entertainment brands or mobile. Or, and actually, they were then very focused on developing that as an innovation. And it was, it's been hugely successful. Mm. We've got over a million customers on Amazing. Hive. You know, the tension that brings, though, is you create a very innovative, different, agile culture that then clashes up against, you know, how things are done on the estate. And I think we've spent quite a lot of time in the last couple of years working on how do those teams come together? How do they, ways of working work? How do you get some mutual objectives across the teams? Because actually Hive success is been largely, not largely, not solely, but dependent on, you know, massive channels like British Gas. And what you see yeah. is this, if you get it right, there's a brilliant symbiotic relationship. So actually, Hive has got the trust and the backing of a very, very well-established brand called British Gas and the engineers that can come and, and you know, install mm -hmm. the hardware. Mm -hmm. and, and the flip side is British Gas is seen as a dinosaur to some extent, but, you know, it gives it modernity. And if you get the get the relationship right... I think the bit you've got to work very hard on, though, is what is that customer experience? So as you're developing the way the two brands will coexist, how do you help a customer understand the relationship rather than, you know, you're in one world and then you chuck them over the fence into the orange world and mm -hmm. then you back over the fence into the blue world. Actually, you've got to design your customer experience. So you're helping customers navigate, you know, where they are in that journey and, and which brands they're interfacing with for what purpose. And do you ever see a world where one eats the other? You know, I mean, I would say brave companies develop and innovate with a view that, you know, one could be bigger than the other. Mm. 
I actually see a world where technology and the connected home is so fundamental to the success of all of our brands across the estate. So if British Gas do not figure out how they get connected and carry on modernising and innovating in that space, then actually they will be challenged in the marketplace because that is the future. Um, Hive actually benefits massively and the tech that Hive are generating and the innovation they're creating has got a massive um, role to play in the in modernising British Gas. So I'd like to think the two can, you know, grow together. But who you never say never, as they say. Okay, well, watch this space. So we're at this nirvana now. We're at the... Uh we're at this point where you've been in this fight back now since 2014. You've been you know, at the brand for a long time. Where are you winning? Where are you winning? I think we've done some great stuff on an innovation front. So mm-hmm. whether that's local heroes, tech platform or all the work we've done on Hive and mm. the innovation around Hive. I think we have customer experience front and centre of the conversation in the boardroom. Mm-hmm. So that makes me really excited. So we know what we need to do. On the flip, if you said to me, where is it hard? It's really hard to reorganise all of the troops and, you know, to get the output. So culture, I think, is my biggest learning around it's really hard to shift some of this stuff from it. And actually, you need Mm. a resilience and a and a different mindset to go, how do you get the needle? And, it, you know, for me, it's like iron filings. You know, you chuck them on the table. You need something. You need a magnetic north to line it all up. And unless it's all lined up, you're never going to get that cohesion, the cohesion of output. So that's the hardest bit to crack is how do you get every single piece? So if you were sitting here and looking at, I don't know, the CMO of BT or the CMO of uh, you know British Airways, what, you know, for these heritage, what advice have you got for your... You know, your compatriots in the in the fight and other heritage brands. Have you got some kind of pearls practical. of wisdom, practical pearls of wisdom for us? So I met the CMO BT and we were, we were chuckling. <laughs> Did you he hug? Said, Did you yeah, just have said, hug? He said, I said he's like my brother from another mother. It was just bizarre. <laughs> like, yeah, we got that problem. Yeah, we got that problem too. So what would be my uh, words of wisdom? I, I think you're on very safe ground, customer in. So what my experience has been, the more you can bring to life the reality of the customer experience and get the executive team really to walk through the customer's shoes. Because I think what you see a lot of is, yeah, but it's only 10% of the, you know, 90% of the time we get it right. And you go, well, that's amazing. But that 10% is 1 million customers. So the more you can bring it to life, whatever, you know, the experience is in a very tangible way for people. And Mm -hmm. so you can feel it and not just rationalise it, I think is incredibly powerful. Um, The more you can create what I call the coalition of the willing. So the more you can create and find people around the business who really want to make a difference Mm -hmm. and actually harness the power of that group and really start to work out how you can learn from each other and push things forward. And the more you can bring to life what good looks like and celebrate success around, you know, what actually does work. So we've spent a lot of time mapping journeys, walking through that experience, you know, showing what the web chat looked like, what happened in the call, where did they get stuck in the journey on the email or on the web. Mm -hmm. So you can see how it actually works and where you get handed off to and and literally walk it, physically walk it. What's the email that goes out? What's the letter that and goes out? see where it's out? broken. And, what is the yeah. customer experience? And do, and be really clear about, not just pain points, because there's a lot of conversation about what you need to fix. 
but also what's your delight points and what are the signature moments and how do you start building that into your thinking to get, you know, this, which is what the disruptors do brilliantly. Yeah. They know at which point the customer really cares about and they make it either super effortless or super delightful. And how can we take some of that learning and build it into our thinking? Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Any thoughts on where you're winning? Where are you, where are you proud of? What am I proud of? I'm, pr- I'm really proud of the work we've done on CX and, and really now it is front and centre of our conversations around how do we organise differently? How do we think differently? How do we design differently for the customer to improve the experience? I'm really proud of some of the innovation we've delivered. I mean, you've got nearly a million and a half customers on Hive. You know, actually, I think it's the biggest, well, sorry, Alexa, I forgot that. It's (laughs) one of the biggest, you know, connected products in the whole of UK. Mm. And that, you know, from a standing start is really impressive. So I think we're innovating. And I'm really proud of the agency model we put in place on Nucleus. I'm going to ask you a couple of quick fire questions now. Going to take out my crystal ball. And I just wanted to ask you a couple of things. Marketing in the 2020s, I'm, I specifically want to ask you about the forces affecting utilities and sustainability and climate emergency obviously play a lot on people's minds. It's a huge, massive issue. And I'm just curious if you have a point of view on where that intersects with marketing and where marketing can, can help. So sustainability is front and centre of the conversation. And I think where we need to move from, it's a sidebar conversation to it is the story. It's the lens through which we look at everything. So as a marketeer, I would be saying, how do we align all of our brands to sustainability as Mm. the future? How do you line up your proposition pipeline, your messaging? You you know, it's what I see, and it's different between B2B and B2C because I cover both. So B2B, the business customers are much more there already, partly driven by you're going to have to within business. So you've got to figure out. And I see most CEOs now have come out and said, we're going to be net zero by X year. And everyone's trying to figure out what that looks like. So from a utilities perspective, you've got a very big B2B appetite. So how do we change that energy system? Consumer space Customers are not quite there yet around sense of urgency and what it's going to take from a behaviour change perspective to get you to be much more net zero around your home. We have a massive responsibility as a business to help customers nudge themselves down that journey. And so as marketers, I think we've got to work out what's the story we can take to the customer? How do we explain in very simple language and and how can we nudge customers to start taking action Mm -hmm. because you know my experience has been whenever we've tested I did fair trade Cadbury chocolate and tested many 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 times when I was in Unilever environmentally friendly products you know apart from customers who really care the vast majority would say if it's going to cost me more or I have to trade off on quality quite frankly, no thanks. I think marketing's got a massive role to play to make people, and you can't make people care, but to find a way to communicate the story to help people understand why it's so important that we take action now, not in 10 years' time. And is that, do you think, an industry-wide responsibility? Do you think you should be working with your partners across the sector? I think 
the onus is at multiple levels. I think mm. as a category, we've all, we've got to work out how we come together to make a difference. I think we've got to work out how we influence policy and government, because ultimately, you know, th- this requires infrastructure changes from a utilities perspective that will require incri- investment, which will be a barrier for customers. I mean, you know, it's expensive to change your boiler. Mm. You suddenly take away gas boilers. Not many people are sat on a few thousand pounds to replace the heating system. So I think as a collective, we've all got responsibility. And I think I said, as market leader, we we have an onus to go, what are we going to do and how are we going to take our customer base on that journey? Would you ever go work for a startup? Never say no. I would go, I, you know, the thing that's always really motivated me is challenge. So my background is I've got a PhD in laser chemistry, believe it or not. Wow. And then I went to work for Unilever Research (laughs) and then I left research and went into marketing, which was actually one of the biggest, hardest job moves I've ever done. So Unilever R&D to Unilever Marketing, it was like a different language. So I've always been attracted by a challenge. You know, startup has got its own challenges and as long as I could deliver great brand and customer experiences, I'd say never say never, to be honest. Last question, super important question. Chihuahuas (laughs) Chihuahuas <laughs> or Great Danes. At this point, I should say Mark has two dogs. A Chihuahua called Alfie and a Great Dane called Vegas. Right. Discuss. Discuss. Well, one of them is a 17 week old puppy <gasps> who's now uh, 42 kilos. So that will be the Great Dane. And the other one is a two year old uh, Chihuahua who's two and a half kilos. And that'll be the uh, be Alfie. So completely different. And I love the fact they're completely different, which I think is a large indicator of the madness of my world. So the small one absolutely gives the big one jip. He is in charge without a shadow of a doubt. So I have a very large dog who thinks he's a tiny little lap dog and I have a tiny little lap dog who actually thinks he's a very large dog. Amazing. So I love the combination of the two. Lovely. And I, I love the contrast. I had to bring it in. I'm sorry. I know it's it's not the most professional thing I've ever asked, but I got to say the contrast between the two, it just makes me think that you're you're a woman who loves the sense of the absurd and obviously is perfectly suited to be fighting back against anything. And I'd want you in my corner on any day of the week, because if, if you can carry off that, you can do anything. So I got to say, it's been an absolute delight and a super interesting conversation. I can't wait to see what you do next. And thank you so much for coming to chat to us on Fightback. I really enjoyed it. And thank you, Robin. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fightback. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave a review or comment. We do read them and it does help others find us. Fightback is brought to you by AAR. We're a London-based management consultancy. We believe in creative capital, that creative thinking and ideas are the engines of growth, better connecting businesses and customers, managing and exploring creativity from different perspectives. We design marketing ecosystems, build partnerships, and drive performance. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the great help of the people at Something Else. Thank you, guys. See you next time.